Hey everyone, yeah, welcome to this Topics on My Mind for today, uh, the 5th of October 2022. It is about 3.25 p.m. in the afternoon. I would have done this earlier, except of course, as you can see in the back, I was laying on my bed. I got up earlier this morning, you know, got something to snack on and just laid back down after my mom left and I just did not want to move. My body was just so worn out and everything. Um, over the past several days. Now you might think, well, how long did, now you might ask yourself, well, how long did you work? And I only worked for like four and a half hours each day. Uh, Monday, actually, um, you know, Monday, actually, I left about, I would say, seven minutes earlier uh, than scheduled because I wanted to catch my bus. And I was planning to do the same thing yesterday, except for the fact that uh, we, I don't know what it is about Tuesdays lately at my job, on probably any job, but more specifically mine, but it seemed that, you know, we had less people on Tuesday than we normally had. Now, I don't know if maybe that's because the ETL manager that does uh, the scheduling uh, for, for the weeks, um, that week and the upcoming weeks, I should say, um, basically went, ba went, went off based of, uh, went, but, you know, went and decided to make these decisions based off the fact that maybe Tuesdays weren't that busy to them, or they didn't see Tuesdays being that busy, except um, they are. They are kind of busy, maybe not to extreme busyness like what we get on the weekends, but still they are very bit. but still they can be very busy uh, to the point that the front manager, the front ETL, man or the front team leader, had to, um, you know, come in and relieve me. She had to take over for me uh, because there was no one else. And I don't know what the issue is when people are called from the fr called from the floor to, you know, come up and help if they have the experience. You know, I don't know what the issue is. It's, it's something that I even noticed at Walmart. You know, when I was there, it's like nobody on the floor wants to come up to the front because... You know, either the either their excuses or the reasoning and excuses. Oh, I'm with a customer, or I've got this, you know, left to, left up to, to finish. Let me finish this, and I'll come up. And they never do. So I don't know if the reasoning is basically that's not our problem, that's your problem. We're not dealing with it. You know, and if that's the case, why don't you just say it? Why don't you just tell the the team leaders that hey, whenever you call us up to the front, we're not going to show. We're not going to be there because that's not our problem anymore. This is our issue. This is our problem. You deal with it. You know, you deal with that problem yourself. So I, I don't know if that's, that could be the reasoning. I don't know. Hopefully this will get straightened out over time. I mean, we are hiring more people, especially as we go into the holiday season, to help out in the front and on the floor and overnight but still, and in the back. But still, it's like if you have experience doing cashiering, you know, and you're now on the sales floor, you should at least be like, okay, uh, this could wait on me for a few more moments, and I'm going to go help on the front. You should, you know, if you don't have a customer, and you're like, basically working on something, and you're almost done, but you're like, I can finish this when I get back, then put it on hold, go and help. That's about it. That's about it. So I, I don't know, again, I don't know what the reasoning is, uh, honestly, but again, it's something I've seen before at Walmart, and I kind of see it here at Target, and I'm pretty sure it's the same all around, whether it's those two companies 
or it's places like Kohl's, maybe even grocery areas like Safeway, uh, Lucky's, Albertsons, Dillon's, you know, uh, Hy-Vee, you know, Costco, you name it. They probably all deal with the same thing because nobody really wants to, you know, deal with customers up front and, you know, Instead, they want to basically have what is essentially more of a more. They essentially want more. They essentially want to stick with it. With what I'm trying to say, with a more uh, less hassling of a job or less uh, rudeness of a job, because there are customers that can get very rude and be, get very upset and not very understanding of you know the situation. Because sometimes they need to understand that we're trying our best to get to you guys, but you know, we're only limited to what we can offer, and even those that we try to call up don't want to come up because they know what they're going to deal with, and they don't want to deal with it. So, again, if that's the reasoning of, hey, we're working on this now, this is our area now, we're not dealing with that anymore because we don't want to deal with that crap, then just come out and say it. Just tell the managers. And maybe, in a sense, that will have the managers, have the people in charge of the interviews and all that, you know, call up and say, hey, we... You know, we uh, want to talk to you. We want to interview you for a position at, 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 the, at our store, at our company. Would you like to come in and talk to us and do the interview? And maybe that person will come in. They'll get hired. And, you know, we'll go from there. But it, it's just one of those situations, honestly, that, you know, I could probably understand the real reasoning, but I don't want to come out in public at my store, even though I'm saying it publicly here on YouTube. Um, I don't want to come out publicly at my store and say, I know the reasoning, and I may not like it, but I can understand it. And again, if that's the case, maybe that would hopefully motivate, if they talk to them and explain it, motivate the managers to hire on more people for the cashier positions. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But anyway... Anyway, yeah, going back to what I was saying, I was planning to get out early yesterday, except that didn't happen, so I had to wait about an hour and uh, uh, almost an hour and a half before I got on the bus to, to come home, which normally would be the bus I take if I got off at 5.45 or 5 o'clock or something like that, or 5.15. You know, the 5.26 bus would be the one I would take home, and I had to take that bus uh, basically, because again, I couldn't, you know, do what I did on um, on you know on Monday. I couldn't do it here uh, yesterday. Uh, I couldn't do the same thing there, or I should say, on Tuesday yesterday, uh, because you know we were very limited, and you know it's just excuse me, there, you know it's just hard to do. And I had a feeling that might happen. It's like I kind of told myself, yeah, I got out early by eight seven minutes, made my 345 bus, you know, and all that. It's like, yeah, I'm good. Nothing, no problem. But I knew for some reason that the next day, you know, the next day I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Like, I'm not going to be, I basically kind of told myself, I'm not, you know, it's like, yeah, I did this on Monday and I'm good with it, but I'm not going to be able to do it on Tuesday because, you know, there might be reasons and, you know, being very skeleton crew wise almost in the front was a reason. But speaking of Monday, speaking of Monday, a lot of you may have noticed 
throughout that entire day that I had my computer on via live stream and a video I call behind the scenes of B.W. Rosas and I described in the description that I would keep in contact via live chat because I wanted to see exactly you know uh, what would happen because what what gave me the idea was Zara Nizarak. Zara Nizarak of the Multimedia Chronicles aka Sean McLean uh, gave me the idea when he did a behind the scenes thing for about nine hours where he was videoing himself, you know, live streaming himself, I should say, video, live stream videoing, you know, himself uh, doing unboxings, um, making food and all that, you know, rendering his um, episodes of unboxing, updates, you name it, you know, his package openings. You know, he, he was basically filming, live streaming, filming, I should say, himself doing that. Now, I can't necessarily say if that was a live stream because it could have just been him doing a, a filming of all the bits and pieces that he would, you know, film like with a regular camera uh, of him doing all this and then piecing it together and then live streaming it for everybody to see via Premiere. So I can't say if it was an actual live stream, but I don't think Sean wants to go through that hassle of connecting all those parts together to make a nine-hour nine premiere. So I have a feeling it was live. I have a feeling it was live. And that kind of gave me the idea to try it out, even if I wasn't here physically in person. It gave me the idea to, you know, to do it myself. And the catch, like I said, was just keeping in contact via my phone through the live chat to see how things were. And I guess it worked because, you know, my... My monetization jumped up a bit, not much, but it jumped up a bit, and the view count wasn't in the hundreds, but it was close to it. It was like, I would say, 19 views short of 100, but it's grown um, ever since. And to date, to date, ladies and gentlemen, it is in my, gee, what is it now, 14, uh, 15 years? Yeah, my, in over, it, it is basically in my... 15 years plus now because it's you know several months after my anniversary here on YouTube which was June 4th uh, basically 15 years plus you know combined it is my longest live stream slash video ever clocking in at nine hours and four seconds and 39 uh, not four seconds, but clocking in at nine hours, four minutes, and 39 seconds. That is long. That is long. And, I, and, I, and one, one of the last comments I had in the live stream about it was, oh, it's kind of creepy and everything. But then I showed up at the end kind of explaining, you know, why I did this and then, you know, talking and then just closing it out from there. But, yeah, it was just a bit of an experiment I wanted to try because if that's going to help you know, people like me monetize even quicker to an extent, uh, then I have no problem with it. But speaking, but speaking of videos, you know, helping me monetize quicker the, than I expected, this morning, of course, I, um, or last night, I should say, well, way, well, not necessarily last night, but way early this morning, basically a little after midnight, go, that, you know, a little after midnight going into the day, I recorded via my phone, I recorded via my phone, 
my review on the first episode of Vice TV and Seven Bucks Productions, uh, Tales from the Territories, which was based on uh, Memphis. The first episode was based on Memphis, and the title of the first episode was Memphis, Where Wrestling Was Real. And almost immediately, almost immediately, this video has taken off to the point that right now, because it premiered at 7 a.m., and usually sometimes my videos, even if they premiere early, don't garner that much unless it's something that's going to probably grab people's attention or get them maybe interested in you know checking something out. But ever since 7 a.m., it has garnered, as we speak right now at 3.36 p.m., it has garnered over 101 views. 101 views. And I am thankful to everybody out there for making that happen because it shows that Vice TV not only gives people like me, content creators like me, you know, something to talk about and maybe even recommend to people to check out for their own interest and all that. You know, not only do they give us that kind of material to work with, but it guarantees that we're going to get a decent amount of viewership even within the day it premieres or we upload it. So again, I thank you guys uh, for that very, very much. And in case you guys are wondering, there is a podcast version of it now, an audio podcast version on my B.W. Rose's podcast. I actually uploaded that along with uh, my Extreme Worlds 2022 uh, preview and predictions and my, my uh, talk that I did about a day or two ago on the current state, or actually a day ago, on, on, uh, two days ago actually, on Monday before work, um, I actually uploaded an audio version of, the current, of my video where I talked about the current state of AEW from the eyes and mouth of other fans. The other ones that I, um, audio, uh, other ones that I uploaded to my podcast via audio uh, besides the Tales from the Territories, the Extreme Most uh, Predictions and Preview, and Current State of AEW um, podcast or episodes. Uh, the other ones I did is my um, uh, video episode on the Hammer Monsters movies versus Universal Monster movies featuring the same iconic monsters. Uh, I, did an, I put an audio version of that on B.W. Rose's Discussions. I also did an audio version. It's already, an audio, it's already recorded in audio. But basically put the audio on the podcast of Metamorphosized to Malabilities, a 34th shift slash chapter entitled Bean Bag Fun. I put the review up for that. And then one that's getting a lot of love right now is my reply to Cinemassacre's recent video, James Rolfe's recent video, What Happened to Saturday Morning Cartoons. That is up right now um, as well. And it's got about seven... seven um, plays already according to anchor.fm which is where my uh, which is the main area where my podcast is located and it is owned and by Spotify so if you have Spotify you instantly and Spotify is like your main listening area for podcast that's where you mainly get it and that's where you're going to get this one as well that this uh, topics on my mind deal but Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's uh, that's a huge accomplishment right there. So again, I thank you guys for that. And going back to my work, um, what was interesting over the past several days is, of course, I was off on Sunday, 
But Saturday was really interesting. Saturday was extremely interesting at my job because what happened is, well, here's the thing. On Fridays, Saturdays, and I guess now Thursdays, we have uh, a tall guy. I'm not going to say his name, but we have a very tall, friendly guy. He is, he, he multitasks. He basically has different jobs that he'll, he'll do. But his main job, apparently, as of late, is to be a cart gatherer, a cart pusher, a cart attendant, if you will. So he'll take the cart manager machine out with him uh, to, to, par- to the parking lot and gather up all the carts that are there as best he can. And if it's not that many carts, he can pretty much get it done in one run. And then, you know, if it's slow... He can go and do other jobs, like, you know, as a guest attendant, you know, he can go from being cart attendant to guest attendant. Well, he's basically guest attendant, cart attendant, basically same thing. He can go and, you know, clean the women and men's bathrooms, the family restroom, uh, the employee's restroom in the back. He can take out the garbage. He could check out the spill stations, make sure they're all, you know, filled up and everything. You know, he can do a lot of that. And if he's all caught up, and again, it's still slow... He can go and do one of the jobs he primarily does, mostly, um, you know, mostly, you know, the t- most most of the time, not mostly the time, but most of the time uh, recently, and that's basically fix bikes, you know, piece them together and all that, you know, put them together and everything to be displayed. So, you know, he does all that. He multitasks, and if he has to, he'll even, you know, cashier. Um, so... You know, he's put out there primarily, like I said, towards the end of the week. Like, he'll probably be out there tomorrow, and he'll be out there on, um, you know, on Friday and Saturday mostly. But the reason I bring this up is because Saturdays, they're, no, they're typically at times uh, very busy. And what happened on Saturday is, of course, we were low on carts. So I went out, I went out uh, to try to gather some in as best I can. I would, you know, get as many as I could, bring them in, go back, do it again, go, go, you know, rinse and repeat kind of deal. So what happened on that day in particular is, you know, because like I said, we were extremely, for some reason it's Turlock, so, you know, we get extremely busy, you know, on Saturdays. What happened is I tried to get some carts in and people were walking around, just walking, walking, walking. Sometimes getting in the way almost of me trying to get it, get the carts into the into the store because our our cart you know doors are like right in the middle of the front like here's the front here's the front doors here's the uh, exit doors uh, you know like like yeah here's the front doors like here's the front entrance doors here's the front exit doors you know and in the middle is the cart doors so what happened is i basically was trying to bring some carts in, and some something happened. People were, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it was, but people had gotten in, gotten in the way just enough to where I had to, man, I have to maneuver around them. We have to maneuver around them. And what occurred was, okay, I got some of the carts in, but one cart had come loose. Because sometimes they get stuck together, and when they get stuck together, one comes loose. So I tried to realign it, right? I tried to realign it by slowly, by pressing the slow button, on the remote to line it up, and usually that works. This time something, you know, went off because I was trying to, like I said, avoid some customers, and next thing I know, the thing, the cart, the cart manager with the cart on it, because we have a cart, you know, on the base of it to help us, you know, be like the anchor, 
to where we put all the other cards on. We all attach all the other cards, right? So what happens is, you know, instead of realigning the way it should, it comes loose, and I have the slope button pressed, but it comes loose and it rams right into me. It rams right into me, knocks me down. You know, thankfully I didn't hit the glass or the door or anything, but, you know, thank God for that. But it knocked me down. It rammed right into me to where, you know, I got up. I was able to get up, but it just, bam, just knocked me down. You know, some of the customers were asking if I was all right, which I'm thankful they did. And some of my fellow attendees were asking if I was right, and I told them I was. And all I did basically after that was just walk up, and I kind of felt a little bit of soreness, you know, in the in the on the side in the leg and everything. But I was fine. I I I got back up, you know, and everything. You know, walked it off. You know, um, the uh, other attendees uh, out there, the uh, drive-up attendees, if you will, uh, were trying to push. The, the cart manager with the cart on it uh, off of the, the railings, because we have these railings, like they have these little wheels or whatever they are on the side so that when you bring the cart into the cart doors, it helps it you know, maneuver in quicker or easier. So they tried to get it out. I, like I said, I was walking off my thing. I got back out there, helped them. We pulled it out or pulled it loose, and I just resumed. I just resumed after that. I thanked them for helping me and being concerned. And and then after that, I, like I said, after walking it off, I just went back and resumed my job. And I still felt a little sore, even for the rest of the, even for the rest of the day, the rest of my shift. And you know, and I even told the guy that was uh, the tall guy that was doing the cards that day, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know that kind of stuff happens. You got to watch out for it." And he was like, "Oh yeah, that you know that was something like that." He said something like, "Oh yeah, that does happen. You got to watch out for it." And you know, that, for me, and I've done carts a lot throughout my career as a cashier, you know, a, a, an associate attendee, depending on where I worked. I've never had something like that to where, it, you know, the, the thing doesn't respond correctly, and it should have. So, what happened, like, so, like, like I said, what happened is I got up, walked it off, and, you know, helped them, help the other attendees, you know, get the thing loose from the, the railing, you know, the little guard railing. Railing, and after that, and I, like I said, I thanked them. I went back outside. I went back out to the parking lot and just resumed. Just resumed my job. Like nothing really happened. Like I could feel the soreness and the bruiseness. As a matter of fact, I still have a bit of a sore, like a bit of a bruise, like right here on my on my foot, right here, um, if you will. Um, so yeah, but right here. You know, and I'm just showing them my foot. If you're listening to this through the audio podcast, where it got hit a little bit, but but after that I was fine. I was after that I was fine, and thankfully, thankfully, um, none of the managers were there to see it. None of them, because I looked inside as soon as I walked in to walk it off a little bit. I did not see anybody. One of the managers was at lunch. One of them was in the back taking care of something. Nobody was there, and not even the front, you know, leaders. Well, not leaders, but, uh, well, yeah, they're kind of like leaders, le- leaders in training, if you will. Uh, they did not see it, so I was good. I was good in everything, and uh, not even security reported it, because, you know, I guess as long as I got up and walked it off and I was all right, you know, I could resume my job, 
it, it, it was okay. And, you, you know, with any job, any company, you're supposed to report the incident. But, you know, I didn't want to do, I didn't, but I didn't do, go and do that because of the fact that, you know, hey, if I can walk and still do my job, I'm fine. But, yeah, that's what happened. And it got me thinking, you know, maybe down the line I should suggest to them, hey, with these cart managers, you know, you're always supplied with a hook belt, a little hook line, if you will, to where you hook it to the main car you're using as your anchor uh, to, you know, uh, control the machine and get the carts in. And you're supposed to hook it to that cart, and then when you get more carts in, you hook it to the other carts so that nothing comes loose. So eventually maybe I'll suggest that in the future. But, yeah, that's what happened to me on Saturday. Thankfully, thank God, I was able to walk it off. Thankfully, I was able to walk it off. Um, but besides that, not really much going on, really. Not really much going on besides that. Uh, we finally did get a bench, as a lot of you probably saw in the video. We finally did get a bench over here. Although, it's not the same like it used to be. It's more of a sit-down bench where it's like just, here's one seat on one side and one seat on the other. And the reason they did it that way, you know, where, and then they got a pull with the S, the um, the uh, the S logo on it, you know, for the Stan RTA, uh, which stands for Stan RTA. Uh, here's what's interesting about that, you know, and why they replaced the main bench, because we used to have a regular bench there, and why they put that in there instead, but in a different area, like a few feet away from the original uh, bench, or from where the original bench was. The reason they did that is because of the fact that a lot of homeless We'd sleep on that bench. Or a lot of people that was, you know, so drunk they couldn't, you know, continue home and they would just lay down on the bench, they would do so. So by designing it to where it's just a pole and two little seats on each side, it prevents people from sleeping on it. It prevents them from sleeping on it, you know, laying down and all that. Now, I'm not saying they can't fall asleep on it by just sitting down and leaning their head on the pole and that's it. You know, I'm not saying they can't do that, but this is more of a less more of a discouraging method of saying, if you want to go sleep somewhere, there are shelters here, go find them. So, so yeah, you know, that's a good thing that came out of this. And then, of course, this week is known as Ride Free Week uh, all across uh, bus, uh, bus transits, you know, here uh, in Newman, Modesto, Patterson, Turlock, Merced, you name it. Uh, but anyway, though, guys, I just want to come on here. Uh, anyway, though, guys, I just wanted to start off, you know, come on here and start off this Topics on My Mind podcast with a little bit of a vlog. I know it went a little long for you guys and everything, but we're going to get into the, um, as I check the time there, we're going to get into the topics, if you will, um, as we progress. I'm going to talk about them as we progress, and we have some interesting topics that have come out over the past several days. And some of them are really newsworthy. Some of them, you know, are, you know, surprising and all that. And some of them you question, well, if it's if it's uh, released in this manner, then why didn't they have this happen with the character? Just, just saying. Um, anyway, though, with that said, let's get into the topics for this edition of Topics on My Mind. 
Again, thank you for watching this vlog portion. And now we're going to get into the next portion of topics on my mind, which is the topics. So stay tuned for that. Okay, guys, so for the first topic, well, I don't think there's any hiding it. You saw the title yourself, but it's gotten everybody talking for the past 24 hours, and that is the fact that in the recently new released direct-to-video, direct-to-streaming, Scooby-Doo animated film, which has been something they've been doing for over 20 years, you know, it seemingly, well, you seemingly get one, maybe two Scooby-Doo animated films a year. They have decided in the official. They have decided officially in the new Trick or Treat Scooby Doo movie to canonize Velma Dinkley as lesbian, as LGBTQ, as gay, and it's got everybody talking because this is something that's been theorized, or theorized, I should say, and speculated for years among years, decades among decades, basically based off the fact based off the fact of how her mannerisms are, how she looks, how she dresses, you know, and all that. You know, people have always speculated, I'm almost assuming and pretty sure of it, since the show began in 1969 and onward, has you know, speculated that she has to be lesbian, she has to be gay. And that is exactly what is officially uh, canonized in the new Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo film, and everybody is talking about it. I mean, I'm looking at Google right now, and you have headlines from yes, you know, headlines from Variety, The Guardian, CNN, NPR, New York Times, and so much more. Even Double Toasted did a video on it. Double Toasted did a video on it, and yeah, it's gotten like I said, it's gotten the whole world talking because again this is something that fans have been speculating for years among years i mean yeah they tried to hook velma up with uh they tried to hook her up with uh shaggy on numerous occasions heck there are some fan theories that during the run of the all-new scooby-doo scooby-doo show which was renamed retitled the new scooby-doo mysteries and then 13 ghosts there's been specula speculation speculation and theory that she and Fred had hooked up because they weren't in the show that much, only for guest appearances, while Shaggy and Daphne were the ones that hooked up in that time frame. So there's that theory there where they tried to give her a love interest in either Shaggy, primarily Shaggy, or Scooby, or even have her kiss somebody on the lips like she did in that Supernatural crossover, or even give her a love interest in Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. But, despite all that, despite all that, everybody was always of the belief in, you know, theor the, theory, the theorizing belief, I should say, and speculation that she is gay, she is lesbian. Because, you know, when you look at Mystery Incorporated, yeah, they tried to hook her up with Shaggy there, that didn't last long, and she ended up having a love interest in Hot Dog. So, you know, so that was, you know, that was like almost the first indication that 
yeah, she is bisexual, but she favors more heavily towards being a lesbian. Hold on for a sec. I don't know who that is. I do apologize for that. That is a spam call. But like I said, it obviously shows that even though she's kind of bisexual, she favors heavily towards um, towards being a lesbian with her uh, attraction to Hot Dog and what Hot Dog says at the end in the final episode, if you will. So to have it canonized here, a lot of fans are happy about it. They're like, finally, you're doing what was needed. And what's interesting is the way this comes out is when they first encounter Coco Diablo in Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo, the new movie. Basically, you know, basically she blushes in her, in her, I guess you could say her glasses fog up. They fog up and everything. And then even when Coco touches her, she gets all googly and all that. Like you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen here with her? And apparently nothing as far as I know. I have Now, here's the thing. I have not seen Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo yet. I have not seen it yet or anything. But, you know, just based off what I'm hearing, you would think, you know, this being a cartoon, you would think the way she's acting, you would get what's known as the lustful milk egg added into it where she goes splat or splash on the ground or something. But I don't think we get that um, in here as far as I know. You know, as far as I know and everything. So, you know, so, you know, I'm just looking at a clip right now. And it's just the way she's acting and everything. It's like, yeah, the anime, especially the animation they're using now, which seems to be more you know, squash and stretch, if you will, definitely could lend itself to that. It could lend itself to that. So, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, we're going to get, I don't know if that moment would be in there, but be, this being Scooby-Doo, you never know anymore. Uh, but, yeah, just based on the fact that she, when she encounters her, her she goes blushy, her, I, her glasses fog up, and then the way she acts is when Coco touches her and everything. It's like, come on, seriously. This is a moment fans have been waiting for for so long, and now WB has basically come out and said, okay, fine, she's lesbian, let's run with it. <laughs> you know, and that's it. You know, that is it. Now, I'm sure a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people um, will probably will probably say, oh, well, this is just a one-time deal, and in the next film, they'll just completely forget about it, and she'll be straight again. That might happen. That might happen. But if this moment alone in the film is enough to get people to watch it, just to watch that moment, just to see this officially canonized, whether they rent it or they purchase it or they wait for it to come out to physical DVD to get it, you know, it... it you know, if this is going to help financially this movie to be a success, you know, profitly, then I don't think they, I don't think they're going to shy away from it anymore. I think they're just going to accept it and move on with it. No matter what incarnations we get of the Scooby-Doo films, or, well, not incarnation, but no matter what stories and all that, the Scooby-Doo films, 
you know, get involved in, in everything. But, you know, but seriously, but seriously, this is something that, again, fans have been waiting for for years and years. It gets hinted at, nothing happens. And now they're getting it. Excuse me, now they're getting it. And, you know, I cannot wait. I cannot wait uh, to actually see the movie myself eventually. Uh, it's supposed to be coming out on Cartoon Network, I think, later this week or next week. And it's supposed to be coming out to HBO Max later next week as well, later this week. I'm not really sure. So I can't wait to kind of see it myself and see, you know, exactly how far they go with this in the film. I don't think they go any further than her being her being crushed, crushed uh her Velma being crushing, if you will, if that makes any sense, on Coco Diablo. I don't know if that, you know, is as far as it goes or what. But yeah, for you know, for a lot of fans, you know, this is what they've been waiting for. Even if they're not LGBTQ and as straight as straight can be, you know, this is a moment they've been wanting to see officially acknowledged and canonized for years, and now they got it. So now they and, and now they got it. So it, it's great to see. It, it's great to, you know, you know. It's great to see. It's great to, you know, have canonized. And I can't honestly. I can't wait to see where they take it. Now, whether or not they keep this, or not keep it, but integrate it into the adult Velma series, the adult animated Velma series, is another story. Uh, but we shall see. But again. The way the animation lends itself here, you would almost think they have to put in that that gag, that trope of lustful melt in there for her, just for Velma, in this moment. But we'll see. I mean, they kind of gave you an idea that you know that's what this animation is for, just based off the ending of you know, um, or is it straight out of nowhere? You know, the crossover with Courage. You know, they gave you the idea there, so nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits, in my opinion. So, we'll see what happens. We shall see what happens. Whether or not the next film ignores this, and she goes back to being straight, or they run with it, we'll see. But, again, this is a moment fans have been waiting for for years and years, and now it's officially happened. But, what are your thoughts on it, guys? What are your thoughts? Let me know in the live chat of the during this premiere of Topics on My Mind, as well as in the comments below afterwards. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are. And I do apologize for a bit of the pausing a little bit. I was trying to think about what I was going to say. As I've, and Because as I always mention, sometimes when that happens, when you're doing unscripted you know, live videos, live streaming videos, or premiere videos, like what I do with my Topics on My Mind series, sometimes you kind of have to think about what you're going to say before you say it, and you kind of have those pauses, if you know what I mean. But anyway, though, guys, let me know what your thoughts are on this in the live chat during the premiere of this video. And uh, while you're, if you're listening do, uh, to this through the audio podcast and all that on my po- audio, on my podcast series on uh, Anchor or Spotify or wherever, let me know what your thoughts are. And now let's move on to the next topic. All right, so for our next topic, we're going to talk about something that's coming out uh, a week from today on Peacock. It's a two-part docuseries. I don't know if it's going to be just one part and then the next part comes out. It's going to be 
a two-part deal that comes out simultaneously, except it's you know, just two episodes, and that's it, which is kind of weird, but we'll see you know, how they present this. Uh, it's a documentary called I Love You, You Hate Me, and it's a documentary on the hatred for Barney the Dinosaur. And, you know, let me, let me tell you this right now. When, when Barney came out, I was already in high school, or just going into high school, if you will. Actually, when did Barney come out? Uh, just, just curious. Let me, let me just look this up real, right now. Barney came out in 1992, April 6, 1992 on PBS. And um, basically, I was about, gee, how old was I? I was only 12. I was still 12, and my family was still here in California, my whole family together, that is, uh, before we made our first trek, if you will, to, to Kansas, which didn't last that long, and I've explained that before. Um, but yeah, uh, Barney was, you know, Barney's been around for, tw uh, had been around for quite some time. In fact, he was around from 19, uh, had been basically, Barney had been around, um, had been around basically initially for, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to think, from, 1992 to 2010, holy shoot, and it accumulated 286 episodes. It says here, according to Wikipedia, the series ended on November 2nd, 2010. Although new videos were still released on various dates after the last episode aired, reruns aired on Sprout from 05 to 15, 2005-2015, and from 2018 onward on Sprout. Sprout's successor network, Universal Kids. So it's still out there and everything. It's still out there, you know, in reruns. Uh, but it lasted for almost a decade, eight seasons. And uh, to tell you honestly, you know, I, to tell you honestly, I'm not going to deny this. It was a huge phenomenon. It was. I mean, he even got his own film, believe it or not. He even got his own film. Uh, you know, in theaters. He actually got his own film uh, in theaters and everything. And um trying to see if they talk about that here. Let's see. Uh, it, it doesn't say, it doesn't show it, but it does say that there was a Barney's Hide and Seek Genesis game, A Day in the Park with Barney, a pl show and playground at Universal Studios Florida. So yeah, it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. You know, it even won in two thousand one. It won or tied with winning uh, daytime Emmy for outstanding live and direct to tape sound mixing. It tied with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Holy crap! Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah, great adventure. It was a, a great adventure, and. It came out, this movie came out in 1998. It came out in 1998, and it received mixed to negative reviews and was a box office bomb. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> you know, 
and its runtime was 76 minutes, so just a little over an hour by at least 15 minutes, but still, it's like, I wonder why. And they do have an untitled Barney movie coming out, uh, produced by Daniel Kule, Daniel Kalue, Daniel Kalure, um, is doing it, and his his reputation is, um, you know, let's see, his reputation is he starred in Get Out, he was in Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, Nope, uh, Judas, in, uh, or not Judas, but Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah, so he's been in a lot of good films. He's been in a lot of decent films. Now, has he produced any? No, but this might be. But this would be the first one. Now, there are rumors. There are rumors that this film is not going to be a typical body film. No, this film um, will be basically a, a lot different. It says here, these are some of the articles that have came out in the past several months. Um, the movie is still happening, and it's an early development. It's an early development. And there's been rumors that it's going to be a heartbreaking uh, Barney movie. Well, according to ComingSoon.net, it's going to be heartbreaking. It says here, uh, Daniel Kulea is currently producing a heartbreaking film based on the iconic children's television series Barney the Dinosaur, and the actor recently gave an update on the film's status. He says in, a report, in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, he spoke briefly about the film, which is being worked on at his production company, 59%. According to uh, Daniel, the film is still very early in development, but has not been abandoned since initially teased two years ago. He says, unlike the television series which sees Barney teaching children in love and compassion, this film is said to be more heartbreaking. And he basically describes it as, Barney taught us I love you, love... I'm saying, continuing on in the interview, uh, and this time with uh, Entertainment Weekly, he said, Barney taught us I love you and, you know, you love me, won't you love me too? That's one of the first songs I remember. And what happens when that isn't true? I thought that was really heartbreaking. You know, he says, "I have no idea, but I have no idea why. But it feels like feels like that makes sense. It feels like there's something unexpected that can be poignant but optimistic, especially at the time now. I think that's really, really needed. So yeah, he's making a movie based around this, and I I don't know what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be heartbreaking, more grim, gritty. Some have even speculated it could be horror. Who knows? Kind of like what." Uh, people are doing Winnie the Pooh and Blood and Honey. I don't think it's that, but you never know. But it's supposed to be something, you know, in that veins. Now, now what's interesting about the documentary, though, going back to that, is they do talk to everybody involved with it. And, you know, they, they talk to the guy that voiced Barney, the guy that acted in the Barney suit, Cheryl Leach, everybody that was involved. And they talk about things that caused the hatred to be what it was. From the point that 
you know, people would go and shoot someone over their fan, their love for Barney, or some, or they would burn Barney stuffed animals, or they would hang Barney stuffed animals, or they would, you know, want to threaten the guy that voices Barney's, you know, his life, him and his family's life, and stuff like that, all because they didn't like what they were watching. All because they didn't like what they were watching. And it, I can attest to the fact that, you know, growing up in the 90s, you know, going to Bret Hart Junior High in Hayward, and then going to high school in Oskaloosa, Kansas, yeah, not a lot of people were a fan of Barney. They were not. I mean, I can understand, because in Oskaloosa, Kansas, our schools were interconnected. Here was the high school, middle school was, well, in the middle, and then the grade school, elementary school, with the kindergarten as well, was um, off to the right, if you will. And... I can tell you honestly that there were kids, because they had siblings in high school and middle school, uh, there were kids that loved Barney. They wore Barney shirts, they would, have, they would bring Barney stuffed animals, you know, they loved Barney. And you could tell that maybe they were too young to kind of understand why maybe the siblings or the siblings' friends didn't like Barney or something. And it wasn't just at my school, but it was at a lot of places, obviously. And I think the reason was because Barney came out at a time where, you know, the world was changing. The, the world was changing. It's like, okay, you know, a lot of shows like, let's say, Sesame Street and Barney and, you know, Kalyu, whatever, however you pronounce it, um, you know, were doing their job, and they were doing their job correctly for a time, you know, targeting towards young kids and everything and teaching them lessons. But, you know... When some of when some of the air times that the show would come on, you know, like let's say the show came on at three or the show came out at four or whatever, you know, the older kids would be coming home if they didn't have you know extracurricular activities like you know football practice, volleyball practice, you know, uh, FB, FB, uh, FBLA meetings or FHA meetings and stuff like that, you know. They would um, they would come home to you know relax a little bit before doing their homework, and the last thing they wanted to do is come home and hear or see a big purple dinosaur on the television set, especially when they were off on vacation during the summer and Christmas. They didn't want to see that, you know. So obviously that fueled their disdain for this character, and of course you had other people out there that. You know, really weren't fans of PBS and their teaching of kids with things like Ses like Sesame Street and Calu and you know, um, you know, Arthur and 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 Barney and all that. Arthur though was more of an exception at times because it was aimed at an older kid, older audience with kids, older kid audience, I should say. But they particularly didn't like the other ones because they're like, why should we let this teach our kids when we could do it ourselves? You know. It, 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 and I think it's also the fact that one of the things that really just pissed a lot of p people off, parents, you know, siblings, the friends, whatever, is Barney always sang the I Love You, You Love Me song constantly, and it basically became something that just grew with the young audience. And it became annoying. Anytime the siblings would sing it, it would grow annoying. You know, anytime... Well, the sibling, yeah, the young siblings, the kindergartners and all that would sing it, it would get annoying. Anytime they'd probably hear it on the radio, it would get annoying. 
You know, they just did not want to hear it anymore. They got sick and tired of it. And then, well, of course, like you said, you had, like I mentioned earlier, you had the great adventure movie. Now it's like, you know, you know, that was basically the last straw. And I think what caused it to flop, what caused it to flop isn't because of its runtime, but basically it's something that could have easily, like nowadays, be put on television and it would have been more acceptable. I mean, they have this new blues big city adventure coming out on Paramount+. Plus. Obviously, originally, you could tell the intentions is it's meant to be a theatrical film, but the people over at Paramount, Viacom, are realizing, okay, this has, you know, the, the vibration, it has the, the feel of a big theatrical film, but it's not going to make us money at the box office because no one's going to want to see a Blue's Clues movie on the big screen, which is basically an extension, more expanded extension of Blue's Clues. You know, it's like... They, you know, they'd rather watch it at home like they would do with the series with the kids. And that's why it's on Paramount+. Plus. And a lot of people, I guarantee you, even to this day, would agree that if PBS would have just aired the movie as a direct-to-PBS movie back when it came out in 1998, yeah, you know, yeah, it would have been annoying to a lot of you know, people that didn't like Barney, but it have been more acceptable instead of trying to put it on the big screen where it basically cost them a lot of money. But yeah, this is going to be an interesting documentary because even if you were not a fan of Barney, but you saw and heard the disdain for this character, you know, you are going to want to check this out to see how far it went. Because apparently it went far, a lot farther than a lot of us thought. I mean, I'll be again, going back to uh, my high school days, I remember, you know, around my final years in high school, this is at a time when people, the internet was just coming into being, and people had the means to develop their own, um, you know, homebrewed games for the PC. And one of the homebrewed games that became a popular hit with us in high school, and even I played it, was the Barney game, where he basically either shoots people, or you shoot a lot of Barneys. <laughs> that, that, I think that's one... One of the games, if not both of them. It was something like that. And everybody enjoyed it because it's like, oh, we get to kill Barney. Or we get to see Barney be a murderer, a cold-blooded murderer. We like this. Because the, tr- because the thing is, it, it basically, uh, 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 what, what's the word I'm looking for? It basically mingled with the thought process and dis- thought process of disdaining this character. So again... If you've never experienced it, but you've heard about it, and you've kind of seen it yourself, you know, this is a documentary to check out, because this character got a lot of hatred. I mean, even those that did grow up with Barney and watch him when they were kids, you know, as they got older, they just, they started to disdain him. They started to hate him. I mean, kids that watched him from 1992... You know, everything. yeah, like I said, you know, they enjoyed him because they didn't know any better. Now they look back on it, and they're like... You know, what the hell was I on? Or what the hell did my parents put me on kind of deal to watch this bullshit? So, um, so yeah, this is something that it's going to be really interesting to watch because I'm, I'm guessing, my mere speculation on it, I'm guessing they're going to touch upon, you know, a lot of people's disdain for the character, you know, even as they grew out of it. So, so yeah, that's going to be an interesting documentary to see and cannot wait for it, because uh, I might check it out myself. 
So let me know what your thoughts are in the live chat of the premiere of this topics on my mind and in the comments below. And on to the next topic we go. All right, so our next topic here is the Munsters movie. That's right, the new Munsters movie, which came out on Netflix recently. And uh, let's just say maybe coming on Netflix was probably for the best of it because people have not taken very kindly to this. Heck, they never took kindly to it when it was first announced, first teased and everything. Um, and, and I think the reason was because of the fact that, you know, it wasn't the monsters to them. It wasn't the monsters. It was, it was, well, it was the monsters, but it was more of an origin story to them. It was like, it took a while for them to even get to them being a family in the film, um, from what people have said, to where, you know, it just still did not feel like the monsters, because it was too, I guess you could say, too campy for its own good. Now the original show was. Not to say the original show wasn't campy or anything, but to them, this felt too, too cartoony. And look, the Munsters have had cartoons before. They had the mini Munsters, which focused on the kids and all that. But that was it. And of course, they had a few, you know, feature films and everything, um, even direct-to-television films. But... It always stayed true to what the Munsters were about. This one by Rob Zombie, yeah, it is a family film, there's no doubt. But it, a lot of people feel it was more cartoony than it should be. I mean, I even looked up and I said, okay, the way Lily Munster acts in this, um, you know, very cartoony-like, does she melt? You know, going back to the Leffel Melt thing I said about Velma, and nothing came up. Because I'm thinking, well, you got Rob Zombie, he's creative. Would he put that slapstick trope in there? Doesn't look like he did, but maybe he came close to it. I don't know. But, yeah, people were not really fond of this film. I mean, some, like James Rolfe, did find positives. Like, the with the guy that plays Herman, you know, he found some positives in there. Basically making a comparison to Jim Carrey and how Jim Carrey would take on a role that's comedic and stuff and really just go to town with it. You know, he made that comparison and stuff. And and he basically, and basically James's thing is, if you're, if you're a fan of the Munsters, this is not the movie for you. But if you just want maybe a different interpretation that you could just say is like another world or whatever, alternate timeline, alternate universe, you know, James's proxies, uh, pro, uh, James's, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? processes or prognosis yeah James's prognosis is you know if you want a, a, an alternate version alternate timeline universe version of the monsters then this one is gonna fit your fancy but if you want something that stays true to the original uh, this is not going to do it now they do have elements apparently that pay homage you know to the original which is great but obviously it's not enough you know, it's not enough for people to be like, ooh, I, I like that, I'm cool with that, and all that. You know, it's more along the lines of, you know, they just don't care for it, period. You know, they don't care for it, period. So, 
So, yeah, uh, the Munsters, look, if this was, you know, Rob Zombie's love letter to them, um, I don't blame him for trying his best. Honestly, I don't. But I think this is an example of, you know, people are just, you know, getting to that point of, you know, they're sick and tired of reboots. Or they're sick and tired of different interpretations that try to take something in a different direction. And I don't know if the Munsters has crossed that line to where, you know, people are going to be like, enough. But, you know, it's it's just one of those films to where, you know, as soon as the trailer and the teasers came out for it, it's like, yeah, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to be good. And, you know, putting it on Netflix, like I said, was probably the best option because the original idea... You know, the original idea was for it to be a theatrical film, but obviously they saw the writing on the wall as soon as, like, the first teaser came out, and they're like, this ain't happening, we need to go this direction, and, you know, thankfully they did. But, but yeah, you know, I'll give credit what's due to to Rob Zombie. He did his best. The, the people they got to portray the characters did what they could. They tried to make it feel uh, familiar, from what I understand, but... I just think it's the, it, it was just too cartoony and campy uh, for the, for their own good for people to truly enjoy it. Now, does that mean nobody will enjoy it? I'm not saying that. There's probably people that love it. There's probably people that feel it's one of the funniest movies you know they've seen, and that's saying something. And maybe there's some diehard Munster, um, diehard Munster fans out there that like it too because it's just another interpretation of the characters. But. You know, overall, but the overall uh, diagnosis uh, on it is basically, if you're a fan of the original and hoping this might stay true to it, it's not going to be for you. But if, like I said earlier, uh, what, what I said earlier, I was trying to say, I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say here, almost, my mind almost went blank there. Uh, but like what James's prognosis was, you know, if you're not a fan of it, it's not going to, you know, if you're not a, if, if, you're, if you're a fan, excuse me, let me rewind. Okay. You know, just based on James's prognosis, like I said earlier, if you're a fan of the Munsters, this is not going to be for you. But if you're curious as what an alternate universe version of them would be, and maybe you're interested in maybe someone's interpretation of how Lily and Herman met, this might be for you. So, um, overall, though, yeah, I, I think when it comes to people like Rob Zombie or anybody trying to reboot a classic uh, 60s series like The Munsters or whatever, uh, nowadays, you need to be more careful about how you do it. You need to be more careful about how you do it. Like, you know, if you're going to do it, keep it as the way people know it. Don't try to origin it. You know, just keep it the way it is, in my opinion. Just keep it the way it is and and go from there. And I think the other thing that really pissed all, a lot of people off about it or gave them a mixed reaction to it is there's no Eddie and there's no Marilyn. Where are they? You know, how do they come to for, into the forte later on? We don't know. Um, but if Rob Zombie has any intentions of doing a sequel, well, Rob, if you're going to do a sequel, make sure the sequel makes up for what this was so that people could be like, okay, that was just a pilot. This is the true Munsters movie we want. So... You know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, nobody particularly liked it, apparently. It was, you know, again, I'm not saying nobody did, 
people probably did, but a majority of you know <laughs> the agreement is, yeah, this wasn't good, this wasn't good, and you know they need to do better. And if, like I said, Rob's intention is to do a sequel, a follow-up, then that's probably going to be looked at if it's done correctly and as a way to make up for what this was. People will look up, look at that sequel, I should say, as basically the true Munsters film, and not this one. They'll look at more like this is a test pilot or something. But yeah, Munsters didn't do very well, and that's all I can say on this topic. Let me know what your guys' thoughts are uh, down below in the comment section. And now on to the next topic. So apparently, here on our next topic, apparently, as the title said, the Mario poster is out. Uh, everybody knows about that. The first Mario poster for the Mario Brothers movie from Illumination and Nintendo, uh, which is scheduled to come out next year instead of this year. But also, apparently, Mario's face has been leaked uh, from the movie, and it was leaked by uh, somebody that works at McDonald's. And my thought process is, how could somebody know about this? But then again, it could have been somebody that works on the corporate side. Like, you know, they get advancements of what they're going to be promoting through Happy Meals and stuff. And everybody looked at this image of Mario's face, and they're like, you know, what's wrong with it? You know, some were complaining. Some were like, oh, it's ruined. They ruined it and everything. And it's like, uh... Why are you complaining? All they did was slightly design the eyes, make them more human-like, make the details on his facial hair, his mustache look, and his full and his hair period look good. Um, his gloves have slits on them, so it makes it look easier to maybe take them off once you get down to business. You know, like fighting Bowser. You know, the overalls and a polo shirt. Is, is that what you're complaining about? Is that what you're complaining about? Seriously, that that, ladies and gentlemen, is stupid. That is what I think Chris of 3C Films basically said it best. That is clickbaiting, clickbaiting, easy for me to say, clickbaiting at its worst. Well, at least semi at its worst. But come on, seriously, you're going to get mad at the fact that they made these slight tiny changes. That don't make sense. And let's be honest, too. When you're doing a movie based on something... And you want the characters to look iconic or look similar to what you know, Mass? You're going to get slight changes. I mean, Sonic's design, his yeah, his original design was not good. We'll admit that because they want, and the thing was because they wanted to go with a very more realistic interpretation of a hedgehog. Until everybody got on them, and I think even Sega got on them, and they're like, okay, fine, we'll change it, and that's what we got today. And thus, we ended up getting the Sonic design we have today, which is closer to what. He's known for, but I want you to notice that his eyes are not like one big pupil or anything. They still have a little thing down here that's, you know, kind of giving him a slight redesign just a bit, but keeping true to the aesthetics or the authenticness of who his character is. So I don't know why people are complaining about this. This is not something to complain about. This is something that basically is common with any film, animated or live action, that gets made. You know, it's you know it's going to have slight differences, not just through the voices, you know, but through some of the appearances. And sometimes those differences may not be that noticeable. 
So I, I don't I don't understand, you know, what the big issue is. I don't think it's a big issue. You know, I think the most I think if you really want to be concerned about anything, it's like, okay, how is Peach gonna look? How is Luigi gonna look? How is Bra- Bowser gonna look in sound? You know, that's what you should be concerned about. Like, what changes did they do to Peach? What changes did they do to Luigi? What changes did they do to Bowser of any? You know, what are they going to sound like? You know, we'll find out, you know, in the next, you know, I can't say, like several hours or so when the trailer hits. Or the next, what is it, 12 hours or so, 12, 13 hours when the trailer hits. But, you know, the thing is, there shouldn't be any reason to complain. There should not be any reason to complain about this whatsoever. Because, again, in any movie, you're going to get slight changes, period. You're going to have things done in a movie that try to stay that try to stay true to its origin, but make it different enough to where it stands on its own. And you know, even if it's that, and even if that's with the slightest redesign, then so be it. I, again, I don't see anything wrong with it. I really don't. So, I, I so I give it to you guys. Do you think people are blowing this out of proportion? What are your thoughts? Do you think they're just clickbaiting so they can get people to watch the videos? How do you feel about it? Let me know in the live chat during the premiere of the Topics of My Mind podcast, as well as in the comments down below. And I will talk, well, on to the next topic, probably the last topic. We shall see, but yeah, probably most likely the last topic. On we go. But let me know what your thoughts are. So finally, for our final topic, um, as I talked about in a video I did before work uh, on Monday, everybody's been talking about it, and that is the current state of All Elite Wrestling, and how right now things are not looking very good for them from a ticket sale perspective. Now, there are some bright spots, like Toronto being sold out next week or so, I believe, and um, I think it's next week, Toronto, you know, is sold out, out just about. And Winnipeg, I think, is also sold out or something, or close to it. But the thing is, when it comes to um, all the other ticket sales, like at places you think they would sell out just based on who resides there or came from there, um, or mostly places you think they would sell out based on what they've, accomplished before um, basically it seems that that's not it seems that the success they had before there is declining basically their ticket sales are very very I wouldn't say abysmal but just to the point that it's not satisfactory especially when you have a TV rights deal coming up in the next uh, several years or the next year or so because it's no secret, as everybody mentioned, even Jason Solomon mentioned it in his uh, take on this uh, recently. He said that, you know, David Zaslav and HBO Matt, uh, not HBO Matt, David Zaslav and his crew at Warner Bros. Discovery have been slicing and dicing a lot of stuff lately to save money, to restructure the company uh, financially. And basically... Uh, basically, the the reason for it 
you know, the reason for it is essentially they don't see uh, the value in a lot of these shows or movies or whatever, and they're, you know, basically chopping them, you know, off the block. They're chopping them off the block to the point that, yeah, you could still see them, but you're not going to see them either on HBO Max anymore or you're not going to see them on Cartoon Network anymore. You know, you'll only have a limited time to see them. Like, you'll either see them at Boomerang Streaming Service, Hulu, uh, Netflix maybe, but you won't see them anywhere else. And this is why they're also shopping around some of the newer stuff, like, the you know, the uh, new Batman series or, you know, the two Looney Tune movie specials that they're doing. They're, they're shopping them around because... You know, they know a lot of hard work went into them, but they just don't see a profit being returned on their behalf to them, you know, when it comes to eight, when it comes to the overall financial structuring or restructuring. Now, does that mean AEW could be in trouble? Not really. I mean, they have average from a view standpoint, you know, enough viewership to where it satisfies you know, WB, apparently it's, you know, it's to the liking. But viewership numbers is one thing. Financial revenue through ticket sales is another. And if the product, your network, your company, you know, is uh, basically high on, you know, to the point that, you know, they are, you know, giving it to two different networks to have the programming on, easy for me to say, you know, easy for me to say, you know, they have two different networks to have their programming on. You know, if that company is not generating ticket-wise the revenue you would expect them to generate, that's not a good look in the long run. It's not a good look in the long run, especially with the TV rights deals coming up. And if these numbers don't improve over time, you know, they don't improve over time, David Zaslav and his crew may just end up meeting with Tony Khan and say, yeah, you know, the numbers here are great, you know, on te- you know viewership-wise, but revenue-wise, with your ticket sales, you know, the atmosphere are- comes off blah on television. Like, you know, basically, he could watch it, you know, him and his team could watch it, and they could see that, you know, the cr- it looks crowded, but then find out it wasn't. He's... Again, he could go to Tony Khan and say, yeah, you know, viewership numbers are up to our liking, but ticket sales were not, and it came off looking awkward on television, so we're probably going to have to put you in the category now of programs we may have to cut from our lineup next year. So that's something that I know Tony Khan doesn't want to happen because, you know, the inevitable plan, obviously, for Tony Khan is to get AEW on the HBO Max streaming service or whatever it's going to be next summer, um, as far as the streaming service goes, the plan is to get all the wrestling on there, just like WWE Network, you know, WWE has WWE Network on Peacock. You know, and people can watch this stuff there. He's going to want to try to do th- the same thing with AEW, but right now those plans may be going, you know, into extinction. Um, evaporating before him because of the ticket sales not doing so well. Now, like I said, ticket sales are bright in some areas. Toronto, like I mentioned, Winnipeg, you know, uh, New York, uh, Newark, New Jersey for full gear. And there's a reason why that's happening. There's a reason that's happening because everybody expects 
That's going to be the night MJF becomes AEW World Champion in his hometown. That's what. That's why it's selling out because people are selling it out based on the speculation that Maxwell J. Friedman is going to become AEW World Heavyweight Champion in his hometown at Full Gear. That's why it's selling out. Let's let's not deny that. Okay. Let's not deny that. You know that's why it's selling out. But. The point is, though, in between there, mostly everything else looked not so good. And even though the viewership numbers, like I said, could look good on paper, you know, the ticket sales are another thing. And if he wants, and if Tony Khan wants AEW to get that bigger TV deal next year and stay on the Turner Networks, as well as potentially, you know, uh, basically, what's the word I'm looking for? Migrate AEW programming over to HBO Max so that people could watch not only past episodes of Rampage, Dynamite, Battle of the Belts, past RRH shows and pay-per-views, as well as AEW pay-per-views, and everything, you know, for him to make that all happen, he's got to have to get things more in line. He's got to get more things situated in the next several months because if this continues to trend downward into a spiral that maybe... He won't be able to recover from. Not only would DZ, David Zaslav and his crew, consider putting them into the category of programs to cut from their lineup, from their television, from their networks, and maybe even disassociate with them permanently, but it will get to a point where fans will look at AEW and be like, they were just another version of Impact Wrestling. That's all they were. You know, they weren't really nothing. They were just there because some fanboy had money to make his own company. And he wanted to prove to the promoter up north in Connecticut and his son-in-law, Hey, look at me. I could do a better job than you guys. I'm just a fan. It proves we fans are better promoters and bookers than you guys. You know, that's how they're going to look at it. That's how they're going to look at it, honestly. And Tony Khan should not want... And Tony Khan should not, honestly, want fans to look at it that way for him, for. You know, from that perspective. So if he wants, he wants that elevation into HBO Max or whatever streaming service it's going to be next year with the combining of HBO Max and Discovery. You know, if he wants to make that jump over to there for AEW and ROH, as well as get the TV, that TV deal he's so sotly, he is so sotly after for, you know, AEW and potentially ROH, He's got to get things together. He's got to boost those ticket sales even further than they've ever been boosted before. He's got to basically get the viewership numbers even up back to the millions. And because if he doesn't, you know, he's, again, that downward spiral is just going to continue and continue and continue. And I do agree. One of the things that's at fault for them is they keep running the same markets. And by running the same markets, which apparently are hardcore cities of hardcore wrestling fans, it once again proves that Tony Khan is exactly that. He's a fan that's not thinking like a promoter, like a boss. Because if you're a promoter or a boss, you don't just say, Oh, I'm going to continue going to Chicago. I'm going to continue going to Philadelphia. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Because these are hardcore wrestling cities, and only the hardcorest of fans are there, and I can relate. No, you don't do that. You don't do that. Instead, you varietize. 
you varietize and you look elsewhere. I mean, this is why, as people point out, Toronto's selling out, Winnipeg's selling out, and everything. It's because they've never been there, and people want to see AEW. And I think AEW doesn't get shown in the score or something, something along the lines. So they want to see it. They want to see it live, which is why it's going there. I mean, there's rumors, strong rumors and speculations, that the Cow Palace in Daly City in, in San Francisco is going to host Revolution. San Francisco, my backyard, the Bay Area, could have AEW pro, uh, programming and a pay-per-view. You do not think people here in Northern California wouldn't want that? Wouldn't sell out the Cow Palace in Daly City for that? Of course they would. You know, of course they would, because the thing is, you know, they didn't think it would happen, and now it's probably going to happen, and they're going to want to show support. Just like the forum, if you will, not the Cow Palace, J.D., all due respect, J.D. from NY206, but this is why the, you know, the forum in Inglewood, California, Los Angeles, sold out when it did, because no one thought AEW would come to the West Coast, and it did. You know, this is why Las Vegas, when you play that area, sells out. Because they don't see AEW that much. This is why Newark, New Jersey sells out. Because they don't see AEW, you know, live that much. You see what I'm saying? You need to varietize your options. You need to varietize your options and go places nobody would think you would go to because you're so hard set you know, on staying in these hardcore of wrestling cities because of the fans. You need to venture out. You need to venture out, you know, to other places. And by doing so, not only do you varietize your options with other potential towns and cities to go to and go back to on occasions, but guess what? Your ticket sales will start skyrocketing. They'll start lifting back up into the positives. And by doing so, it makes you look good in front of the people that are broadcasting your show. And by making yourself look good in front of them, you get that TV deal you want. You get that chance to put AEW television or programming along with RH programming on the streaming service uh, you know, in the future along with the new TV deal. It, everything looks good on your part as long as you varietize. Also, the number one thing is to keep your roster in line. Let them know, I'm the boss. This is my team. You listen to me, you listen to them, and if not, you get the F out. That's it. That's it. And if, you're somebody, and if you feel like, hey, somebody's not happy because they're not giving, t giving TV time, you sit them down, you hash out the problems and stuff, but then you also tell them, look, I know you deserve more TV time, but right now we need to focus on the big-name players for this company to attract people to the shows and then when the time is right, you'll get your chance. You just got to let them know. We got to establish ourselves with these stars. Then you'll get your chance. That's it. And by doing all that, it makes, but in the long run, like I said, you look good in front of those that you want to get that TV deal from, along with possibly putting your programming on their streaming service. Because if you're continuously going into oblivion, you know, you might as well kiss that TV deal goodbye, and you might as well kiss the Toro Networks goodbye. That, that's pretty much what you're looking at if you're Tony Khan. So he needs to varietize 
what he's doing. He needs to basically prioritize the fact that he's the boss and his team of people that he has along with him are the bosses and that the wrestlers listen to him, them. He needs to put his foot down and he needs to teach his wrestlers that are complaining, oh, I'm not getting TV time. Teach them patience. Teach them patience at the fact that you are going to get your moment. It says right now we have to establish ourselves in these areas and these names we got on the forefront are the way to do it. So, you know, if AEW doesn't want to keep spiraling down and they want these ticket sales to rise up in the next several months, this month and next month and into December, they need to get everything together. Tony Khan needs to get everything together. He needs to get his priorities in check. He needs to varietize his options when it comes to, you know, booking Dynamite and Rampage in different cities outside of the norm of what he's used to, as well as he needs to put his foot down as to who's running the ship around there and stop acting like a fan and act like a boss. Because if not, this current state of AEW, which is not good, is going to continue trending down. And nobody wants that. But that's all I'm going to say on this topic, guys. Let me know what your thoughts are in the live chat of the premiere of Topics on My Mind and in the comments below. And, you know, that's it for this one. And that's going to do it for this edition of Topics on My Mind for Wednesday, uh, October 8th, 2022. Thank you all for watching. This will probably be rendered in 480, so prepare for that. Um, I know a lot of people don't like the rendering in 480 and all that, but again, if you have a 4K television, you're still going to see it in 4K, because even though the resolution is 480, the viewpoint is 4K. So, you know, look at the bright side of that. But thank you all for joining. Again, comment. Hopefully you've commented in the live chat during this premiere where Super Chats and Super Stickers are open. Super thanks afterwards. Comment below. Also, you will be finding this podcast at all your favorite audio uh, locations with the BW Roses Discussions podcast, except for Pandora. You will find it everywhere from Spotify, Apple, you know, your Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, you name it. You'll be finding it there as well. As check me out at BW Roses at Venmo, at, not Venmo, but at Vimo at, for content you can't get anywhere else. Venmo at Brian-Walmer-2 and a Cash App at BW Roses 98 to help support me immediately there. By doing so, I get the finances right then and there, and it helps me out in the long run. Also, check me out at Patreon.com, BW Roses, for a $1 or $3 tier. Check out the Teespring store as well, guys. Really would appreciate you guys to look into merchandise here. Finances help me out as well. And until next time, guys, I will talk to you all later. Again, thank you for joining me for this edition of Topics on My Mind for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. And next week, I will try to be, because I'll be off two days in a row, Wednesday and Thursday. I will try to be, maybe even Sunday, we shall see. But Sunday, Wednesday, or either between Sunday, Wednesday, or Thursday, I will try to go live with a live edition of Topics on My Mind. So until next time, I am out.